ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as the men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. TPR Stabilizer, a leader in steering dampener technology, brings you the new Q5 Sport ATV damper with better control and handling with an upgraded vane and seal system. Go check it out today, www.gprstabilizers.com or call 619-661-0101. Don't forget to tell them ATV Talk Sandy. Everybody, it is my distinct honor to be here. I'm Leonard Duncan. I'm your host of ATV Talk. And I am sitting down today and talking to the two men that is a, have accomplished something that no other men in history have ever done. They've won eight national motocross championships. These guys are awesome. Chad Weenan, Gary Denton, thank you for coming on ATV Talk. And it, it is a distinct honor to be sitting here with you today. Thanks for having us, Leonard. Yeah, Leonard, man, it's a pleasure. Thanks. Uh, you guys, you guys have no idea what this means to to a fan like me. That uh, uh, you know, giddy school girl, whatever. You know, I mean, it's a fanboy moment right here, baby. You well, guys well, are awesome. It's cool for me. I mean, in my era, I was a guy. You know, won eight titles, and and now for Chad to win eight titles, how cool is that? I mean, he's carrying the torch, and he's the existing champion right now, and just won your eighth title. How does that feel, Chad? Uh, man, it's, it feels great because, you know, like, yeah, like kind of talking with a lot of friends and family, it's like, man, there's nothing like winning your first and you don't, you know, you don't know when, you know, that's going to be your last one. And, you know, every time that you're, you're able to secure another one, it's like, man, uh, it brings back a lot of memories and a lot of hard work and all the dedication that everybody puts into it. And, it's just a beautiful thing that, you know, not a lot of people get to experience. And, you know, uh, now me being like a family man, so it's, it's a different feeling, but it's, it's, it's all good vibes, man. Good for you. Thank you. I, you know, I think about, I think back, I, I was trying to win one and, and for me, my life was different. I raced motorcycles for 12 and a half years, most of it professional. And I got top right tier in 82. I know that sounds light ages ago, which they're so far ago, which it is, but I won, I, I got top right tour, which is seventh. And at the end of that year, I had like seven grand in the bank. That was it. So, and there was no factory rides. Generally, you get on a works bike. I had factory support, but not a factory bike. And the bikes were, the separation was huge. So I was really disheartened. So I just went and rode local races and then ATVs came into my life. And I was actually, for the first time in my life, able to actually make money and support my family and win titles and be in magazines. It was all the cool stuff that I want to do in moto, but didn't, didn't quite have the opportunity if that makes sense. Yeah, man. Like that's, that's like a great story, you know, and how it all started. And, you know, it's just like one of those things, like I, I have so many questions for you on like, you know, what it was like getting on an ATV for the first time that it wasn't like a, a normal thing like where like I jumped on an ATV and it was already kind of proven a little bit where you're jumping on one and riding it where we don't know how this is going to work out you know like <laughs> yeah, no, that's a great story so I'll give you a little insight you're going to laugh so Harry Clem uh Clem Research back in the day had a you know performance company and he said 
Hey, you want to try her? You know, I need to make a whole shot. Can you, you know, you think you'd whole shot on this quad? And I go, yeah, okay. Cause I didn't have anything going on. And I was working at race tech. I was taking shocks apart, putting them back together, making my money that way and raking, winning lo- local races on motorcycles. So I went out and I rode it and Jim Putman was there and he goes, no, man, you got to go in the corner and you got to hang off this thing like a three-wheeler, right? I go, really? Okay. So I tried that a little bit and I go, that's goofy. I can't do that. So I just wrote it my own way, but I knew that it was intimidating. It was big for me getting off a motorcycle. And the other thing was really hard, which you ride moto too, playing around, right? You cross, yeah. cross uh, yes, your bike. Yeah. So you're having on a motorcycle to put your foot down. And a couple of years earlier, a guy rode up on a three-wheeler. I'd won 250 and uh, 125, 250 pro local races. And he goes, come on, man, Gary, you got to ride this thing. And it was a 250R three-wheeler. And first thing I did, put my foot down, ate my leg and my knee up. And I yanked it. I could get this thing away from me. So when I got on the quad and I raced it, it's odd that you would ask that. I had to sit on it and concentrate and tell myself, don't put your feet down. And I would say it five times and I would mean it. I would digest it. Because yep. one little mistake, and you're hurt. Because we didn't have nerf bars back in those days. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's a different story. I mean, um, riding with Yamaha, like I've been out uh, out west a couple times, and I would do like a riding school, and Yamaha would give me like a, a stock machine with no nerf bars on it. And I feel the same way, like when you're so used to like doing that, like you want to like, um, I guess difference with, with the dirt bike, you're dabbing your foot, but like, you're with with like the nerf bars today like we have the nerf the actual peg of the teeth go like all the way out to the edge of the nerf bar so like you have about maybe like 14 15 inches of peg to put your feet on and i'm so used to like putting my foot up and like leveraging it off the 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 end of the peg so like i I feel the same way like you know (laughs) like you know dabbing your foot out there and like missing the peg and it's uh, it's pretty scary because that the machine will definitely eat you up. Well, here's a funny one. I and I just, this just popped in my head. I was testing, doing shock testing, had a practice bike, off season, getting ready for the new season, and I didn't have any nerves on the bike, and I didn't have any. I had not sharp pegs, and I didn't have a little kick at the end of the peg that we used to weld on to keep your foot on there. And I went on off camber section. And my foot slipped off the peg, went into the tire, like third gear going fast and peeled me right off the bike and, and, and gave me a concussion, knocked me stupid. Last time I ever did that. Yeah, that's serious. So you be careful. Yeah. You don't think about it. You know, you're just thinking, oh, I'm just going to test suspension and riding. Some other guys were out there. We're riding just in a, not on a motocross track, just an area that we made a track in. And yeah, it's serious. It's serious business. Wow. Um, Chad, you've never ridden a quad without heel guards, have you? Um, I actually have. Yeah. So but, like when I started racing, it was, um, you know, like 1999, 2000, like that was like when I first started racing. Okay. So like I, my first race was on a Yamaha Banshee and then I eventually got to at the R and it didn't have any sort of like heel guard or anything on it. So. Now, I didn't like it, but, you know, I learned how to ride it. And then eventually you started to get into like, you know, early to mid 2000s where they started to introduce more heel guards on the machines and you always broke them, you know, so you had to constantly replace them. But like, yeah, that's a, that's a game changer, you know, for, for me, like it all depends on the distance there is between the peg and the rear fender. I think that matters a lot. How and just how everything works because there's some machines that i that i've actually rode in production form that it didn't bother me a whole lot you know without having the 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 heel guard but at times like riding a suzuki there's a lot of room back there so like that's really uh <laughs> uh sketchy for me i would say well gary didn't Braden make the like the first nerf bar heel guard and, and it was just the the back portion of that steel nerf bar that he made went had a hoop behind it it wasn't even really a heel guard well it did but it came later and i was thinking about all this stuff with chad saying and we rose raced the quads without nerf bars in the beginning we of course the speeds weren't as great uh you know but 
we didn't know any better. And, and it's funny talking about this because when you ride a quad like that without anything there, it's almost like driving a car and not having a seat belt. You feel a little odd. <laughs> or a, a riding yeah. a motorcycle or a quad without a helmet. You know what I mean? You don't feel quite right. I definitely you know, agree. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yep. So you don't think about it, but like I said, it peeled me off the bike pretty hard that time. And I'll never do that one again. You know, miscalculation, I guess you'd call it. Wow. Chad, how Chad, how's your how's your business? How's that going? I think that's kind of cool. That's a lot the same as what I had, you know. Back yeah, exactly. I mean, you, you, you put you put up a pretty solid platform, and um, you know, I've been able to use that since 2012. Like we decided to create a business, and um, and it's been like it's been growing every year. And like last, I mean, the last two years, it's been exploding, and. It you know obviously I think you've heard you know how hard it is to keep up with uh, getting parts and stuff like that but there are some parts that we make in house that we're able to you know sell a lot of parts of and then there are other parts where we've had people on back order since January you know still waiting for yeah. stuff so like but um, the two best years that we've had and every single year that we've been in business it's been you know increasing so it's it's, it's, uh, been great. And you, you see a, a resurgence of like the motocross and racing or just trail riding, you know, you feel that, you know, within the business and also like on track, on the track. Good. That's awesome to hear. Yeah. I'm in the so, RV like, industry. Yeah. We can't get parts. I mean, we have zoom meetings. We have price increases probably once a month. And so yeah. I'm in the wholesale market where we manufacture toy haulers uh you know the particular division matt we yeah. do other stuff but I, I do toy haulers so yeah we it, it's crazy people want to go camping and they can't get the coaches and like somebody could order something and it could be five grand more money by the time they get it you know it's just that's the way cars are like that um your like that. <laughs> yeah, it's city. Crazy. We're living in crazy yeah. times. Lifford can probably attest yeah. to that, right, Larry? Oh, dude, it's with our business, the amount of back ordered material is phenomenal. The steel, aluminum. I'm sure you're dealing with it too, Chad. And I know you are, Gary, because we're all using we're all yeah. using similar materials. And yeah. they they just I, I'm still dealing with back orders from 2020. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, no, it's, isn't it? Yeah, it's definitely wild. But uh, like let, Gary, let's, let's let's talk ATVs, guys. Let's yep. talk the comparison between Gary. You've looked at a little bit of motocross stuff in in the in the now day in the in the present day compared to some of the tracks that you raced back when you were riding uh how do you think the 250r would compare and chad you could chime in any time after that that's a loaded question leonard for me chad would be able to answer better i i was thinking about this i was just at the grocery store and i was going you know chad how old are you 36 or 36 yeah so i could you're too tall for me i'm too short but in a sense, Chad could be my son. I'm I'm 63. <laughs> Think about that. <laughs> yep. and wow. So I haven't. So that's pretty crazy in itself when you think about it. And I'm a happy 63, so it's cool. But the reality is, when you look at it, how do you compare those machines? You really can't. I mean, I don't know. You guys, you guys can't race frame bikes. We had frame bikes, but I don't know. Have you ever ridden a frame bike, Chad? I have. And, and how was it? Like. <laughs> It's definitely, I think the biggest thing that I noticed was like the huge, like reliability is a lot better. You're not having to worry about breaking frames. I never got to ride like a narrow frame lagger before. I didn't know like if that was like, I know, I know that that was like the thing to have like back in, back in like the early 2000s, like everybody tried to strive to get one of those. But um, I think like definitely your, your power to weight ratio is, going to be a lot different compared to like let's say like ours like our machines were a lot they're a lot heavier now with like the fuel injection and all that on it but i think in simple terms like the thing is is that the guys are riding these things as fast as they can go and that's and as 
time goes on, everybody else's like machines, they get better, the testing, the technology, you know, everything gets better and better. It's crazy to look back at my 2012 championship machine that I kept and looking at my machine now, it's, a st- it's still the same YZ4DR model, but things that we've been able to like produce and also like um, come up with to put on the machine to make it even better. Like it would be a no comparison. Like I could put that machine on the track and I could be like three seconds a lap slower on it. It'd be pretty uh, wild. Well, I, I got a chance to ride. Ask me to do a little magazine thing. I told you this, Leonard, on the or, or brought it up at your last show. But I want to say I, I found the magazine. It was like 02 or 03. So I rode Doug Gus championship bike that year. And it was out of Glen Helen and I rode it and there was traction everywhere and it was gnarly fast. I mean, meaning I always had the 2VDR. I was always fighting for tractability. That was a big deal. So for me, you know, racing weight, I was 155 and I was 5'8". So I, I was all over the bike. You're 6'5", yes, Chad? Uh, yeah. Six, yeah. Four, so, so, yeah. yeah. So when you lean, lean a little bit, it's a lot. So yeah. I had to maneuver quite a bit. Uh, I've watched the difference between you and you and Hetrick and you guys are totally different riding styles because of the statures, I guess. And, yeah. and maybe just riding preference, but, but that bike was brutal. I, I could have cleared felt like King Kong's jump or something, you know, and I've seen you guys clear stuff. That's just incredible. And I, it's like poetry motion, you know, watching you guys do it. I, in fact, I had the conversation with, it was Pulp, Pulp uh, MX and they were comparing you quad guys, meaning, you know, the vast guys, which are doing Whedon and Hetrick. And yeah. I, I want to say it was Steve and we were talking to the host and I knew him since we were a little kid. So he goes, well, we were talking about it and uh, moto guys can do anything. And I said, I don't know. That's true. I go, if, if, if Whedon, I said, or Hetrick would have chose moto. How do you know they wouldn't have been champions of that? And you guys also wrote Ironman and Rob Bidus is a good friend of mine. I don't know. don't know if you know him, but. Vitus is there doing all the pit stop and announcing and usually announcing a lot of those tracks. And he told me you guys the first practice with identical lap times as a pro guys. So congrats. I thought that was cool. So I laid that out there. I said, well, how, what do you got to say about that one? <laughs> so yeah, it was good yeah. stuff. Cause I used to beat some real fast guys at Glen Helen on my quad. Not always depending on the track lent itself, but I could pass yeah, fast yeah. guys and then I'd pull over, wave them by and then repass them just to mess with them. Always the best. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's definitely like, you know, not comparing like apples to apples, but man, like, uh, I just know that this is something that it came to me, like something that I loved and I love to do. I have a dirt bike and I'll, I'll actually start riding it this week. Like I enjoy riding it for a month and then I'm kind of over it. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm like, <laughs> I don't have the same like drive of like riding my machine as I do riding a dirt bike, but man, like I do know that, you know, the guys that ride two wheels are top level athletes. And I feel like, I feel like I'm a top level athlete racing ATV motocross, like the, where I take the level of my, my, my riding to my training and everything, you know, it's a, it's a full, full on deal. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. I I have a love for both because I did both. Um, quads are, I, I actually have quads right now that are right. You know, so it's, it's funny. My girlfriend and I, and my grandson, we go out and we ride, you know, they're just LTZs, nothing special just to play. And if I try to get a little freaky on the thing, try to lay it down, you can jump off real quick. Cause you got stock tires. So if you don't have really great machinery, right in ATV, in my opinion, being at what my mind thinks it should be at that level, then I can hurt myself pretty bad. Back to the nerf bars, or you know, they have they have they have you know safety features, but it's not the same. Yeah. What I That's was trying to what I was trying to ask, and I'll start with you, Chad, because you you're racing today. It's like Loretta Lynn's. It's really similar to what it was back in the day. Yeah. Red, but I don't know how much they've changed it either. A lot. It's a lot different. Oh yeah, yeah. You think the? Do you think if you had to go back to yesteryear and the hybrid two hundred and fifty Rs that we raced versus today's four strokes, 
how do you think the hybrids would do on today's tracks? Oh man, comparison, not very good. Wow. There's no way. Um, but you put the right rider on something like more than likely they can ride it fast for a couple laps. And I think they're going to start to like, you're going to have a lot of sketchy moments, but honestly, like it's all about the technology that being able to come with the tires are so much better these days. And, uh, the power delivery, you know, the, the fuel injection, it's like, it's kind of like what Gary said, like he noticed that he had traction everywhere when he rode that four stroke. And that's kind of the way that, you know, I feel like when I'm on mine, like I feel like when, when it's working just right, you have traction wherever you want and you can do, you can steer it and turn it wherever you want. I'm not saying that you can't do that with the, the two strokes of, you know, the eighties and nineties, but you're just a technology and, uh, you know, you're, you're talking of something that's way back in, you know, 20 plus years old. But honestly, I, I would like to, like when I'm done racing professionally, I want to come back and I want to like race one of those machines against like, let's say not necessarily a pro race, but like put on the same track, ride my, my pro, my, my pro bike that I finished my career on and then ride that one too, like in two different classes and see what kind of lap times you can put down at a, at a national event. You better train a bit on that two stroke before you go race it. Cause it's a <laughs> oh. totally different world. You know, oh, yeah. the, the straight ahead drive is different. Uh, I, I think that the, the four strokes of today lend themselves to longer careers for the riders and that being said you look at gary gary was older when he retired and some of the other guys that raced two strokes made it through uh, uh, what would be considered an uh, an older age in racing um you know but then look at how old the guys have gotten you know eichner retired when he was 46 47 years old doug gust was in his 40s joe bird was in was what 45 I mean, these guys, these, these four strokes allow you to ride older. Um, Chad Reed. Yeah. Gary, how old were you? What now? Gary, how old were you when you retired? 37. And I was done. I was burnt. I was everything I could do because for me, see, I had, that was like 25 years of racing. So I had like 12 and a half or 12 years of moto, 12 and a half of moto. And then motor dirt bikes, and then twelve and a half of ATVs. So it was a lot. Oh, and yeah. I always knew there'd be a business side for me, Chad. What was it? And I had Denton Racing going, and the RV market a guy that sponsored me came in, and he offered me a job. We flew to Montreal to race a quad race, and a guy owned a little RV toy hauler company, and it was like an eight-year-old company, and he was struggling, and he needed somebody that knew marketing and. I knew sales be just like you do because you got to negotiate your contracts, right? So you're really a negotiator. You're a master negotiator to be able to make a living and do what you're doing. So kudos to that. But I was the same in that respect. So I liked the dealers right away. And I could tell some of the the, uh, processes they had were kind of not up to par in that business where a lot of them weren't. And so we changed everything. And right away we went from a little $3 million company to a $7 million company the first year. And we went all the way to 240 million. So it was cool. I was finally a businessman, you know, in a sense, you're a businessman also don't, don't, don't take that wrong. But I felt like there was something else and I wasn't sure if Denton could hold it. And what happened with Denton racing is I went to work for weekend order trailers and I didn't have time for my own business and it went from 250 250r parts mainly or two or two stroke stuff to four stroke stuff and then it went everything went four stroke and then it changed right to side by side so it was that crazy within a few years span and all that while i was running we bought we acquired other companies so i was managing those vice president of sales and marketing product development so i'd go by my own shops as this sounds and i'd just go i can't stop you know at six o'clock at night and we were open to seven at the time. And so for me, it was, a, I should have probably sold the business off. I didn't, I just let it die a slow death in a sense. And, and it was a great, didn't racing. It was a great company. Um, I could still be doing it today, but 
Leonard can attest to it as you can, Chad. You have to keep up with the times, and they were changing quickly. Yeah, definitely, definitely. That, that is quite the statement because, you know, I can roll back all the way to the big wheel 90, you know, when I was a little kid. And to be where we are today, it's unbelievable. You know, we take it for granted that the four strokes that we work on today are what the industry is. But then you get to, you know, this morning I was putting an LT500 together. You know, I mean, if you start working on it, you think, gosh, how cool is this? This bike's 37 years old and it's going to be brand new. Uh. It probably brings you back, Gary. Yeah, I, I just did a post the other day. I was racing against a guy named Joel Bontu, the French champion. And we raced over in France. And we were on a super, uh, super moto track. And he had this straightaway, Chad, that was like, I'm going to say it was a mile and a half, but maybe two miles. It was really long. It might have been an airstrip or something. But it was so freaking long. My buddy that speaks like six languages, Chris Cortain, talked another rider out of this 32 uh rear sprocket for an lt500 because we didn't have anything that small and i had a 15 in the front so i think we were doing about a buck 25 and it wasn't enough for that banshee he was he was walking me probably by 10 15 miles an hour so we get into the dirt section and we'd go into the his bike was real low so we set up for that and so we come into the corners and i was pitching it trying to pitch it sideways it was kind of tall a little spooky. You could have did it better than me because you're taller, right? So oh, I, I, I was giving all my little body I could and whipping that <laughs> thing, like trying to trying to manhandle it. But you don't want to make a mistake on the asphalt. It's pretty no brutal. Way. And, then it, and then it rained during the event, Chad, and we were high. There was a bridge, and they, the water was puddling, and we were hydroplaning just for a little bit. But it's a little sketch. Oh, <laughs> yeah, fun stuff though. It's cool yeah, to get cool. to do those events in different countries. I enjoyed it. Yeah, the, yeah, was the Ponte Vo? Did you ever get to do that? I did, and and we went over there again on the LT 500s. It was that whole trip, and with Barry McCarty, and McCarty was like a pit bull man. I mean, we were riding stock suspension LT 500s with big tires. You want to talk about? Oh my God, McCarty's hitting these gnarly ruts, and I'm thinking we're on vacation. What are you doing? You know, he's like wide open. He won the race. I think I got third or fourth or something, but I I I wasn't gonna get hurt on that thing. It was a pig. Those LT five hundreds are heavy. I never really liked them a lot. Um a lot of people love them, but God bless them. <laughs> yeah. Well they're generally they're generally for the bigger guys. Like, you know, you put seventy five pounds back on Chad and put him on an LT five hundred and he's home, you know. I yeah. mean, it's cush. It's easy to ride. It's stretched out. So his, so his height is not crammed, you know, on it where yeah. I can't believe he rides that Yamaha like that. He's so big. It looks like a little toy underneath him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, nope, just learn how to balance it really well. And, you know, it's, it's like, uh, like what Gary said, you know, like a lot of small movements make a big deal. So it's, yeah. it's like you got to be like really balanced on the machine. You don't see me leaning off of it because that's just way too much weight to be putting out there and it changes the machine, upsets the machine very easily. Yeah, I watched you do a section and Patrick was in front of you and I don't know what race. It was just something I watched and, you know, it was one of those clips on Instagram and you, he, he was like leaning the, he was all over the bike and you went through the section and you leaned just a little bit and you went just as fast, if not faster. And you look, you made it look effortlessly. Yeah. And kudos to him. I mean, it was like, you guys were both all in ass, but, but that's the difference. It was, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 Let me ask you guys a question. If you start talking about, you know, Chad, you're talking about, foot placement and where your body position is um, and whether it upsets the machine. Gary, how much of that did you have to to work on with the quad coming from the two-wheeler or did the two-wheeler just naturally teach you how to position yourself on the ATV? Well, I, yeah, I had to lean off it for sure. I mean, it, it, if if we, Chad and I were going through that section, I would have looked like Joe, Joe Hetrick going through there. You know what I mean? somewhat 
I don't, you know, I don't know if I'd have been, you know, moving that much, but, but definitely remember, he's got a lot of chat. I, I was five, eight. So what's, give me the equation here is in Chad six, five. So five, nine inches, right? Is that nine inches? Awesome. Think about that. So that's leverage. So when he moves, he uses his leverage to his advantage. Yep. He does it well. I was what I was trying to get to is the correlation of of when your 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 feet placement versus making sure that everything is in, is lining up correctly to keep the machine driving in the positions that you want it to be. Well, well, the quad you ride it more like a motorcycle than you do a three wheeler. You know, and most people thought they were more like the three wheelers. They're not. And the the oddity is, and Chad, you can speak upon this too, but most moto guys are real intimidated by the side of the size of the quad. The biggest thing is when you go off a jump that's off camber, you don't lead into the high side of the jump. It takes you off the track, you know, and that to be able to get a land at, a, at the right trajectory in the right plane, you have to lean into the high side of it just right. That makes sense. You know, if you have an off camber jump, yeah. so right, Chad. Yeah, and like uh, also like having like jumps where the jump faces aren't square, like you said, like with the off camber and you know ruts going up the faces. You know, like it it's it's all about like the balance of your machine and your throttle control, and like it, it's hard to it's hard to like describe. It it comes natural, like you know, like the more and more you do it, the more natural it feels. Like you got a double kick up a face, you know, you know how to like position your weight and use your throttle to get over it so it's like it's a lot of natural feeling and it's it's very tough because i teach a lot of kids and i'm like telling them like you got to position your weight here just a little bit and then also like have your head forward and your butt back so you're balanced and it's it's um it's just a thing that you you create over time of just trial and error and some people have that natural feel and some people really don't yeah. You know, you asked you asked me, Chad. I, I talked about this last time, but you and I didn't talk. But so you should hear this one. So I was in there was a track in Texas called Wolf Creek. I don't know if you ever rode there at all, but it, this knucklehead owned this track, and I don't mind saying that this promoter because he'd make the track the, the jumps really peaked. It was dangerous for the kids, and it was shitty for us because we had to jump out on flat ground. You know, there was no landing on a lot of the sections. And I remember there was like a triple jump and it was one of those sections and it was peak, the third jump. I had won the motor before my hands are blistered and it's hot as heck. I mean, it's like really hot. And well, wow, man, and it wasn't much run. And I'm thinking, you know, I got to go in the corner, come out just right. And there's a bunch of ruts, whoops coming out of the turn and click it into third gear and yank that jump. And it was probably, I don't know, 80 feet, 70 feet, whatever it was. Moral story, if you don't make that third jump, you're going to you're gonna end up in the hospital. I'm sitting there going, you know, this is kind of stupid. What I do for a living. And I was getting toward the end. I go, I got to find a new job because if I don't make that jump, I die. <laughs> and then, so you'll know when it's time, Chad, whenever that time is, you know, probably years oh, yeah, ago. Yeah. But I, I, I thought you'd like to hear that story. It's true. I started yeah, yeah. handwriting was on the wall for me personally. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure like the people tell you that, you know, you'll know when your mind starts wandering in the wrong, wrong places. And like, you're just not willing to risk it anymore. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But is, I it, is it a, is it like they say it is when I talk to some of the guys um, that have raced back there with you, that you guys are on the edge all the time. That we are. Yeah. No, like, honestly, I'm in a comfort zone that I feel comfortable riding that pace. But yes, there are times where, let's say, like the first couple of laps when you're jockeying for, for a position, you're riding like a pretty fine line of an edge. But I never feel like I'm ever like I might not make it through this turn. Or I might not land this jump. I never like I never try to put myself in that position. But I think like the biggest thing is like, I'm so, I feel like I'm so in tuned and dialed with my machine that I have the confidence to go that fast. 
on that on like that edge and feel okay with it and not be like kind of like unsure where a lot of guys they can come come let's say like the west coast guys when they come come back here and they're like man like these guys are flying they're crazy they're on the edge but you can we can go out there and feel the same way because they're riding their tracks their way where we try to come and ride them our way and that's not the right way to do it and like they've been they have there's a certain art to what we do and what they do out there right gary you feel I, the same I, I got one for leonard i got one for you so hansen used to hate this we I, they would have you know they'd want like sometimes the tracks they'd water the track like really bad and chad can probably attest to this and mm-hmm. now his the machines are different so we didn't have remember we're, we're, we're what is that two 200 cc's less machine and the tractability factor so different right so even though two drs were real fast so we we're always fighting for traction but they like in an instance they would wet the track for some technical double or triple be a big jump but if you didn't make the jump you could hurt yourself there's not much difference between being right or wrong back in my day at least with Mm -hmm. equipment and i so i might not feel right doing it because there would be a guy in the way the ground would be totally slick and there was a lot of jumpers like doug gust and joe bird those guys love jumping as far as they could jump i mean they jumped so far they'd hurt themselves many a time Okay, so um, which I I was all about being consistent, and if I could win that day, I'd win, you know that kind of thing. But I wouldn't maybe maybe do the jump till the first moto, and I'd hole shot and do the jump, and wasn't that big a deal. It, w- it wasn't a matter of it was a matter of being patient. And Chad from probably attest to being patient sometimes. Yeah, I mean we had a, a pretty big booter at the last round this year. <laughs> My teammate Max Linquist, he got he crashed and got injured on it, and like I knew, like the jump wasn't like it wasn't in a, a good 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 place. It wasn't running quite right. It was still soft in the landing, so like I didn't I didn't jump at the whole first qualifier, and like second qualifier, like the track came around, I finally jumped it. But there's probably most of the guys actually jumped that you know the first qualifier. But I'm like, man, like. It's just not ready. The risk isn't worth it. So, like, you know, like that's hey, that's the sign of a champion. Good for you. Yeah. 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 No, just be, being very calculated and be able to think on the go like that, and not just be narrow-minded and you think that you got to just go for it all the time, and you got to be able to to be like very calculated. Yeah. I used to have guys come up to me all the time and go, "Why are your lap times are they're like." Three seconds a lap slower than so and so and so and so, and I just go whatever. <laughs> so they were all about cag, you know, stopwatches back in the day. You know, and I don't know how it is today for you. Uh, still there, it's still yeah. there. Yeah, it's just funny. It's like okay, whatever, you know. Yeah, I think practice is 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 a scenario where you you know, there's jumps. You know, you can do the jump, but like you talk about your teammate getting hurt and hope he's okay. It only takes one little mistake in your Alfred se- season. You know, yeah. and if you want to win titles, you like you say, you have to calculate it and you have to do it right when it is right. Obviously, the race you have to do it. Like and you guys, so you have two two qualifiers then. Yeah, we do yeah. two time qualifiers. That's cool. Yeah. So like, go ahead, Chad. So like, Gary, I got a I got a pretty good cool question for you on that. I'm really interested in. Like, what was it like? for you riding and racing like in the eighties and nineties and like, what were, what were the times like, were like, did you guys like and early in my career, like, like we had fun, we were young kids. Like we went, we went and partied, we did all that. Like we had a great time as I got older and more like got like my factory rides and stuff like that. I started to get more serious with it and really focus on, the job at hand, I would still, we would still have fun here and there, but it wasn't like nearly as much as what it was when I was younger. Right. Well, I was always dead serious. First thing for me was to win the event because remember I came from a moto background where I really never made a lot of money. And so it was my opportunity to make money. And why I knew I could is because the guys that paved the way for, for me and and you in the ATV world were the three roller guys. And yeah. I had no idea there was so many of them. There's a track 
that they used to have here called Corona Raceway. And Clem took me out there on the quad and it was, Chad, it was a Thursday night and there was five or 600 ATVs out there on a Thursday night. Normally the races were on a Friday night moto races. And I didn't, I mean, give me a break. So the, the Yamaha, there were factory Yamaha teams, Kawasaki teams, Honda teams, and no Suzuki. Suzuki hadn't built their quad yet. So, uh, and there was other stuff. I want to say factory Tiger, some other oddities, which Lauren Leonard could probably tell you. But so for me, it was like, wow. And I remember seeing Jimmy White and I go, wow, who's that? And they go, that's Jimmy White. And I go, how much does he make a year? And they go, he makes like 120, 150. I go, whoa. Oh, I'm in. <laughs> Sign me up. And oh, so yeah, J, yeah. J Dub and I are buddies today. But the point is, and he's a great guy. I so when I got a chance to get the factory ride, I can tell you I made hundred grand that year. Remember, there's a guy that had seven grand in the bank account getting top privateer yeah, motorcross yeah. and then getting winning the title and making a hundred grand. Think about how lopsided that is for me. Oh, yeah. And plus I was on I was on TV, I was in all the magazines, and I was national champion. It was everything and I could make a great living. So I was blessed, man. So I, yeah, I played, but I trained hard all week. And then after the races, we might go out and drink some beers or whatever. And I always screwed around. I was talking to Arlen at LRD racing the other day. He goes, well, one thing about you, Gary he goes, you knew how to fun, have fun, you know? So I, within reason, I was always trying to have fun, you know, like a lot of times there's downtime at the motos, you know, or you'd ride, practice day or something and it might the bike you know mechanics would be working on the bike so i always had a fishing pole i love to fish so i'd go off and find ponds and fish for a couple hours and you know just take my mind off and then come back to it because it's racing stressful you know as you know and and yeah, yeah. It, it just takes a bad start or a mistake on a jump like we talked about or whatever it may be or mechanical or anything so yeah but but uh the also too uh the, the, there was a Honda Suzuki rivalry. So Suzuki coming in and Honda had factory teams and all that stuff. So in like 86, it was really heated. It was cool. If you, you could have been there, you'd have went, wow. And yeah. one of my good friends is Chuck Miller. And he, he was a mechanic on the Honda team. He's a three-time um, Baja champion, 1,000 champion. Chuck Miller, I don't know if you know the name or if you're yep. – he's yep. Yeah, so Miller and I are good buddies. We're, we're going to go ride in this – winner on dirt bikes he's got a couple but he's a really good rider and so and he's a neat person so uh mill used to sneak sneak over because west mccoy the team manager didn't want riders talking to the honda riders talking to the other riders and he was saying hey Denny, what's going on and we'd chat and, and later he became a mechanic for rodney gentry on the suzuki factory team so it was cool those were the best of times for me and there was a lot going on we were on tv a lot um we were in all the magazines it, even motorcycle magazines there were ads in you know mxa and dirt, dirt bike and so it was pretty pretty amazing really i wanted to ask what did your moto buddies your motorcycle buddies think about yeah. you racing the quads well oh this is a great one I, the funniest story ever so i was they all called me, they told me I was riding a couch and I was a squid and I was, you know, a goon. And they told me all this stuff. Well, what was the funniest thing was we were up at Mammoth Mountain. Motor, and I don't know if you know this, Chad, but there's a race in Mammoth. They call it the Mammoth Mountain Motocross for dirt bikes, right? Okay. So it's really cool. You're up 9,000 feet elevation. It's beautiful. And we're up there. We rent a huge condo and there's Mike Byer. He got third in the 125 Nationals one year. There's Paul Thie that owns Race Tech. There's uh, Doug Dubach. He was a factory Yamaha rider. The Manning brothers, they were fast as heck. And there was a few other guys. I forget who it was. Maybe Mark Crosby, my dentist. He still rides today. So anyway, we're all in the condo, and I'm making some cereal or something, going to have breakfast. And I'm up there cross-training on a dirt bike. And they're all going, you know. you know. And by the way, remember, I'm making, got to make 100 grand that year. It's 87. And I'm on TV. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in all the publications. I think about how cool it was for me, yeah. right? And these yeah. guys are over there. They, 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 I'm the goon, supposedly. And they're talking about how it's hard to get a factory ride. You can't even hardly get bikes and parts. Marlboro's getting difficult about their bikes and all this stuff. And I'm over there pouring cereal. And I says, you know, got to tell you, this ATV thing's pretty working out pretty good for me. And they're going, oh, screw you. Funniest thing ever. <laughs> I'm always messing with those guys. You know, the, that I think, I think what I miss out of racing is the camaraderie. 
of the guys, you know, let's face it. You can't be buddies. And I don't know how you close you and Joel are, but you know, you can't be buddies with the other guys. You have to really somewhat dislike them to an extent to beat them. That that's always been my thing. Um, you may be different and maybe it'll separate the two, but because there's times I might have to go in and, and nerf you, you know, we're going into the corner, me and my buddies, you know. So I was always like that. Um, I didn't want to hurt the other rider, but they might try to hurt me, so I gotta hurt them back and I have to be in that frame of mind. And I don't think there's I I, 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 I'm holding my fingers together. There's, that's the difference between winning and losing. There's not really. It's mental. It's just a little bit, you know. So uh, that's just my personal opinions. Yeah, I mean, like with uh, let's say like my close friend Joel, like we respect each other, we talk to each other, but like we're not on each other's calling lists. We're you know like it's it's uh you know it's competition and when it's your closest and hardest rival, like you're, you're not going to be like that tight with them, but you're like, you're hopefully going to have some respect for him. And like, you know, he has a family and I don't ride like that. I don't like to right. make a lot of contact. And like, you know, it's just like one of those things where it could take me out too, but man, like, I know, like when it comes down to it, I'm always, I feel like I'm the one that like, be mentally strong and do that and like try to outthink and out outrace the other, you know, like that's, that's kind of like my MO. Yeah, no, that's good. I, I, I always try to write clean, but there was always that chance that Leonard and I were talking on his other show. Uh, I remember Marty Hart and I were coming in the corner and, and it was, it was demonstrating whole shotting or not. And it was a TT race. And I just nerfed them a little bit. Most guys wouldn't have done it, but I did. And it, it didn't make him crash. And it just pushed him out and he probably got off in third or fourth, but it gave me the whole shot. That's the difference between winning and losing. And then that's that, that's that margin of error that we talked about. You know, it's not much. Yeah. It's little things, you know? Yeah. Like Gary, what, what did you like more? Like, what did you enjoy more? Did you like the TT? Did you like moto? Like, what did you like enjoy the most? You know, it's weird because it depended on the year, it, it really the bikes, because the frame bikes changed. Um, but I liked them both, but they, the TT changed because they went from Hoosiers to McCurries. And that allowed, the McCurries allowed just about, it allowed the guys to go, to not have to set the chassis up. Because remember, we're always fighting traction with the two strokes. So the, 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 the Hoosiers are really hard to get tractability with. And then Mercury's came in and then toward the end, the guys were juicing the tire. So there's stuff where they're able to go in and put a compound on there. They do it in sprint cars and you can get tractability like no tomorrow. So uh, the moto thing, I, I like them both really. I mean, whatever I want on that day, some days I can win in moto, some days That's I can nice. win in, you know, TT, it just depended. Didn't at the end of your career, uh, a lot more of your, uh, uh, quality finishes were on the TT. Well, I, I finished out my last, actually in 94, I think I won. I'd have to go back and look at the wins, but I want to say we had 10 events and I want to say I won six or seven events that year. And it was a mixture of both. So I don't know. Uh, Cause I had the Lager 500 link bike and it worked a ton better, but I raced TT toward the end because you didn't really have to train that much. And I took the job. So I was, part-timer realistically that was like 96 <laughs> i was i was i was i was ending my contracts with my sponsors you know so i negotiated where they paid me a little less and i rode just the tts and to phase myself out of racing and you've never wanted to go back no no i i love racing i mean it was it, it one of the most racing is the most special times of my life but the reality is well, you got to remember 25 years of racing is a lot and I owe racing everything. It taught me how to do business and what I'm in today, I'm in RVs. So it taught me that. And I don't know, you know, for, to, to want to go back to that. No, I'm, I've done enough and, and I love it. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm going to be with a race crowd here coming up for the HOF ceremony, which is going to be the 15th, which is so cool. Um, yeah, you get to do that. But, um, and, and, and those people, there's going to be a ton of people there that I know that are friends of mine. And I think what's amazing and Chad, you should know this too, is 
I mean, to have the Ritchie family vote for me in the Hall of Fame to vote, help vote me in, to have the Coombs family, uh, the Dirt Diggers, which is Hangtown, Brock Lover, Warren Reed. I mean, these are the coolest people. They all reached out to me. And there's a bunch, bunch more that I don't know of. But uh, thank them all. God bless them. And, and I'm, I'm blessed. You know, I mean, to just to be I was blessed just to be on the ballot, let alone to get voted in. Yeah, that's, that's huge because like we were sitting on the we were at the, the last round of the year and that was the first time that I heard it. I'm like, hey, like like Rodney Tomlin's on the mic. He's like, oh, like Gary Den uh, is in the the motocross hall of fame. And I was like, I was so like excited to hear that because I know that you've been on the ballot for a couple of years now and like we're always trying to push it to get you yeah. like get you in there because you're the greatest of of the, the time you know like you're, you're the you're the, the you're the man of course you know i don't know about that but thank you chad i appreciate that they i i'm fortunate like i told david because i'm fortunate just to be recognized you know and then to get in i mean how it's just amazing yeah. you know and, and to be at my age and to get in there is just cool i see people that don't get in until they're gone you know and so for me i'm taking my family and we'll be at one table and I've got my brother and sister-in-law and my girlfriend and my grandson and uh, my nephew and niece and, and uh, his family. It's just going to be awesome. Wayne Henson and his wife. So Carol, Carol loaned me Wayne all those years. <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, I, yeah, I'm just stoked. I mean, it, it's really, uh, I'm very fortunate. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be some awesome memories. Yeah. Well, you know, it's amazing. You live for racing and you're doing it. You're in it. And I lived your world and it's, and Wayne and I talked, I was just at a shop because I got some stickers because I have an old Suzuki that we're going to put in the, the museum. And it's one of the old Varner bikes. Cause you know, you got to have a bike, you know, mm-hmm. or not have one. So we had one. So we put that in there, but I was talking about how odd it was for us to live for that moment. We would, we would alley test. We'd go out to an asphalt area. We called it alley testing at night because nobody was there at the buildings. And we would go try to find out what worked the best. And then we'd put, apply that in the dirt because we knew what kind of power curve because we didn't have mapping and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So it was different, you know, ancient bikes in a, in a sense. But yeah, it's funny how that's all we live for, you know, and, and you, you know, you'll do it until you're done and then you'll live for your business and you'll live for your family. And I'm not that you're not, you know, I think it's cool. I see the photos of your family and your support team. And I think that's great. It was harder for us because I had to live in California, which is where I was from. I love it here, but travel all the way to the East coast from the majority of the events. They, we would have to hook up with an amateur rider, whether it was the Emery's or the Goodman's or, um, bell hands or whoever and and those people helped us a ton and um they would you know carry the bikes around or the nacarados or whoever but and that's how we did it and then we'd fly in and out and prep the bikes and race so you know to not have more dnfs or and to still be competitive was that was a that was a challenge in itself what was it like uh flying around to every like just about every round and like one of the like your gnarliest like flight stories or travel uh, stories, you know, like well, I, I we I actually to be honest with you, we were pretty lucky, but I was pretty good at being creative, you know, like if we if the flight was getting canceled or it was kind of gonna get canceled, we would see go real quick and go over to another gate and find out what connecting flights, even if it was a different carrier and get on that flight and it might cost us a couple hundred bucks. But we'd get out of there that night. So thought most of that was good. I, I had one, my kid and I, Scotty, we went to uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and this was an RV deal, but this is kind of gnarly. We flew in there. We did the, the RV show and got up Sunday morning and started to snow, went to the show and I started thinking about the snow and I said, man, so we went to the airport and they go, yeah, it's closed down. So we're in Grand Rapids, Michigan and our connections over in, it was in, um, uh, I want to say Chicago. So yeah, O'Hare. So I said, son, I'll show you how to do this. So we went, we got to rent a car and we drove in the snow and it was like six, eight inches by now. We drove all the roads all the way there. And, you know, I like driving in the snow and the mud and all that stuff. So anyway, and he goes, no way. And I go, yeah, we're doing it. And we met, we met our connecting flight. So being creative is really a big deal. And if you don't, if you're not on it, 
you you might be stuck in a city for days or weeks, you know. Yeah. So I mean, I didn't have too many. I've heard of horror stories where guys are there for days and stuff, but I would drive to I'd get a rental car and drive to another city before I do that. If that makes sense. Oh yeah. Yeah. So being creative and thinking on the fly is really important. Um, it helps me even today, you know, really. Yeah. Do, it. do you remember what that airport was where you'd fly into Muddy Creek? Blountville. Yeah. Okay. Have you Five ever flown in there? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The first time I go to Muddy Creek, they had just had a plane crash. No way. The, the carcass is still smoldering at the end of the runway. Of the of the plane, nobody got hurt, fortunately. But the plane, the wrecked plane, is still sitting there. You talk, and I'm green, and I'm green, Gary, at this point. So <laughs> it, uh, you know, I'm thinking, really, I got to start flying and doing this stuff. This is crazy. Yeah. yeah, I I got a story for you guys, and Chad, you can tell me your best one. So I go to Muddy Creek, and we we race. Um, and they had it had rain, like rain really, really bad. And I don't know what they put it. They put calcium or lye or something. They had wood chips and they had all kinds of stuff in the track to try to keep it dry. And it rained like profusely. Well, I had to take I got off in I want to say I got off in first or I got off in second. And the we didn't have fenders for the bikes because we had them all cut. And the fender kept roosting my goggles. So I had to pull my goggles down by the, because the guy in front of me was throwing stuff all over me. I don't remember who it was. And I rolled the whole model and got second. And my eyes were so bad. They were stinging. And I don't, I, I mean, there was rocks in them. I mean, like, like the worst, if you looked at me, you'd go, man, this guy needs to go to the hospital and be operated on or something or have his eyes flushed for days. <laughs> well, my mechanic buddy of mine took me to the hotel because I was in pain. And he put me in a shower and I had the shower and I was holding my eyes up and just putting the water and just flushing them and flushing them. And Harold Goodman, that bless him, calls me and says, hey, he must have called the hotel. I'm trying to remember. So because I don't think we had cell phones. And so anyway, he called me and says, hey, you've got to get back here. They're going to start the moto. So I go back to the track. I put on a new outfit. I don't know how. And um, my eyes are blurry because they're so scorched. So I, I, I get on the line and you know how they have the, I don't know how they do it now. I didn't really watch, but they have the 32nd board and then they actually had a one minute board and then they had a two minute board, a one minute board, and then they turn it sideways. That was it. So, so they're at that first turn and I had to watch him the whole time and I'm hoping I can get in front. And I actually did. I whole shot it and I, I I couldn't tell. I couldn't see the numbers. That's how bad my vision was. And it was so blurry. And I I ended up, somebody got by me. I got second. So with a 2-2, I got the overall. And I was half blind. And rocks were going on my eyes. I went to the doctor and he said, well, I guess you're probably okay. But as long as your vision comes back. And I, I was blurry for like three days later, even coming back. How about you, Chad? What's your worst uh, mother story? Oh, man. I would say we ate. Couple of years, several years ago, we went to we were at Walnut and Sunset Ridge in Illinois, my home race, and I believe it was in two thousand and eight, and I was on the Suzuki, and it rained so hard, it rained so hard, they ended up canceling the whole amateur program, and they only had one moto for the pro race and pro am. That was the only two races they did, so we went out there and I. Like I actually brought my my wife that I had brought to the her first race ever, and I went up to Milwaukee and picked her up on the day before and brought her to the race. And like we go there, and this is our first race. It is like terrible. Like the pits are just it's a bad bad first experience. So we take off. I wasn't a very good starter back then and I got buried in the pack and I'm making my way through, I'm making my way through. And all of a sudden I get, um, come up to this turn and it was a, it was a tricky turn. It was kind of off camber and I got 
I got hooked on the one side, got like caught, uh, like the edge of the track and it sucked me in and it took me like off the track. And all of a sudden here comes Josh Creamer. He did the same thing that I did. It ended up like right next to me and we're good friends. So I get unstuck and I like, I like let off the gas. I'm like, Hey bud, I gotta get going. We'll see you later. And <laughs> I, take, I take off and I ended up like 12. And uh, so at the end of the day, like my wife, she, like my wife to be was, she's uh, her sister, like kind of like got us talking and stuff like that. And she's like talking to her and she's like, like, is he for real? Does he just do this for fun? Is he like, is he any good? And she's like, oh yeah, he's really good. Like, it was kind of fun, like how, how green she was, like coming to the races and never like experiencing before, not really knowing much about it. And um, just a very cool, like thing that I'll always remember. And then we, let's go to an airplane situation, like airplane story. So back, I believe it was 2008 as well we went to muddy Creek and Doug would fly to the races and like Doug and I were good friends. We would talk and we got into us like into talking like, Hey, like he was going to come pick me up and take me to the race. But Doug would come and show up. He'd be like the last minute to get there. Like he would show yeah. up like an hour before we had to be on the gate, like for practice on Saturday or something for a qualifying race. So I'm sitting there. It's Saturday morning, around seven o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting there. We're we're at a private runway, waiting for him to come in. And I'm sitting there, like waiting, for, waiting, waiting, waiting. And I'm like, man, you know what? What if he didn't show up? Whoa. <laughs> I'm just sitting there, like, oh, sh oh shit! Like, there's no way I'd make it to the race. Like, yeah. there's no way. So eventually, he gets there. Like, we get all loaded up. We are going to Blountville to the, the same airport that you're talking about Leonard. And <laughs> so we fly in there, we have to make a stop. Like, he's like, Oh, like we're running a little behind. we make a stop quick. And it's just like, they fill up with gas. You take a leak, you get back on the plane and go. And we land and we get there. We roll out. We get, we like, literally like, you don't even have a chance to look at the track and you're going out there for your first, your first qualifier and practice and all that. And it's like, so like wild experience for me because like Doug was so used to doing that. And that was like, not, not me. Like I'm yeah. used to being there like a day before do the whole thing. And yeah. I, was, I was worried sick for about <laughs> 20 minutes that I realized and I'm like, he might not show up. <laughs> Whoa. That's Doug. Yeah. He's always so laxed about stuff like that. Oh yeah. It's funny. Oh, that's awesome. That's so awesome. Gentlemen. Uh, Gary, I know that you told me that you have something going on here. Um, yes. I, I want to thank you both for coming on ATV Talk. It, it's a true honor and a, and a true pleasure of mine to be friends with both of you and to watch you guys do things that have amazed so many of us for so many years. Gary, you are the true beacon of light in our industry. And Chad, you're carrying the torch pretty amazing. And, and I appreciate both of you guys so much. Thanks for having us on. I love chatting with you, Chad. <laughs> you're a great person. Yeah. And we've never had this opportunity. So I got to see a side of you I never got to see because we never had a chance to speak. So, uh, well, I guess we did one day, but I, I had other things going on. So I apologize for that. But really nice. It was nice getting us together, Leonard. Thank you. Chad yeah. came up with the idea. I was thinking it, but he said it. <laughs> Thank you, Chad. Hey man, like, awesome. you know, I definitely looked up to you and I still do. And you're a true uh, legend of our sport and man, congrats on the hall of fame induction. And I, I look forward to seeing like photos and some video of that, that you get to share. All right, buddy. Hey, you take care and good luck in the future. Go win, go win 10 titles, my friend. <laughs> oh, geez. Easy. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thank All you. Right. See you. Thanks guys. Yeah. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. Brought to you by Take-Two Custom Tees. Screen printing experience that is dedicated to quality and customer service every time. 
San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industries building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.